and bring our attention now back to this time and space in which we are gathered. Awaken your senses to the present moment. singing it later. So just a quick check-in. How many of you felt that there was a smooth transition between imagining being inside that sukkah shelter and hearing those words from Ecclesiastes? Did they feel like they lined up? Not so much, right? Not so much. Ecclesiastes is kind of depressing. And a lot of scholars have wondered, why is that being included in this joyful holiday? Why indeed? It's not uncommon to notice that discordance. And that being the case, I feel moved to acknowledge some of the discordance, some of the vulnerability that we all have experienced in recent years during that season of refraining from embracing that season of mourning, that season of feeling scattered. If someone had told me in 2019 that I would soon be confined to my home for months on end, and that delivered mail and groceries would need to be left on the porch for 24 hours and then disinfected before they could be brought into the house, and that toilet paper would be hoarded, and that hospitals, Hospitals would be setting up ice trucks as makeshift morgues. That I would not be able to hold my newborn grandson for almost a year or visit and help his young newlywed parents as they shifted to caring for him while working from home. That I would end up wrapping my 90-year-old mother in a plastic tablecloth drawing her close for what I could only hope would be a mutually comforting, safe hug. If someone had foretold all of that, I would not have believed it. But that's how it was. Discordant to an extreme, so very unsettling. What a vulnerable time to live through. And if someone had told me that versions of this, many of them far worse, would actually be a global phenomenon, that the ripple effect of COVID would radically change whether and how we gather in community, how we even define community, the ways that we learn and conduct business and tend our health, and trust, or more likely distrust, the cohesiveness of this nation's commitments to democracy and equity 
and justice. If someone had told me all of that, my jaw would have dropped. I just wouldn't have believed it because I am a child of privilege. Because I've been fortunate enough in my lifetime not to have personally suffered as others have. The deprivations and insecurities that come with enslavement. Enslavement to poverty, to violence, to objectification through racism, enslavement to political persecution, to geographical displacement, to not feeling or being empowered to influence one's own desert wanderings. I never would have believed that things would change, that they would turn so much so quickly as they did since March 2020. Because as a person of privilege, I have come to expect control over certain areas of my life. Because I'd been lucky that way up until then. But there were those among us who were not quite as taken by surprise at how much and how quickly things can change for the worse. Those people already living on the margins. As much as that is true, it is also true that expecting and counting on the ability to influence our life's wanderings, our ability to avoid certain experiences, the unpleasant ones like the vulnerability that comes with illness and death, those expectations are misguided. As the contested author of Ecclesiastes affirmed so very long ago, generations come and go. Everything has its end. That is seemingly the only thing that we can count on, the only thing that is certain. Life is vulnerable. It is a vulnerable wandering and wondering, bookended on either side by mystery. And the human insistence upon influencing and controlling the truth of this timeless trajectory the insistence upon security and control, or even the insistence upon meaning, is, according to the author of Ecclesiastes, vanity. If not vanity, then life's journey is, as some translations suggest, insubstantial and as inconsequential as an exhale. And if not that, then it is downright absurd. It is on behalf of such absurdity that I feel moved to speak today as I reflect upon this celebration of Sukkot. In part because I struggle so much against absurdity. I am ever seeking the certainties that lead to empowered purpose, to a lived experience of freedom, both personal and collective. I want to focus on absurdity today, because during the festival of Sukkot, as I recently learned, those privileged enough to do so intentionally invite the absurd into their lives. 
intentionally invite the absurd into their lives by building temporary three-sided shelters partially open to the sky, open not only to the beauty of the stars, but to the disruptive or even destructive forces of weather. How absurd, how discordant to intentionally leave the comfort and safety and stability of one's home, assuming we're even fortunate enough to have one, in order to take shelter in a shelter so incredibly fragile, so vulnerable. Why? Why on earth would that have become a thing to do every year? a valued custom for each generation to pass on to the next. Why on earth put time and energy into decorating something so incredibly temporary? You're just going to have to take it down again next week. Why expose oneself and one's most precious things, one's best china and sacred texts and, and bedding and guests to the increasingly unpredictable and dangerous elements more so, after focusing so intensely during Yom Kippur on the discordance between our values and our actions, why insist upon joyfully confronting the discordance between our timeless yearning for predictability and security and the reality of things not being nearly that settled or controllable? the reality of our core vulnerability to the forces of, if nothing else, time and gravity, the reality of our temporal nature, our mortality, and of our not yet being where and who we want to be, the reality of our not yet being free. So the holidays of Passover and Shavuot, which precede Sukkot, commemorate the event of liberation and the event of receiving the commandments by which the liberated people would be covenanted together in purpose. But here's the thing. Liberation and freedom are two distinct experiences. One is an event. The other is an ongoing action. Liberation and freedom are two distinct experiences, as are quite often our ideals and our choices. And it's all too easy to delude ourselves into thinking that we are already free until something unexpected happens until something unexpected happens and we are jarred into feeling in our bones, in our blood, even in our breath, in every one of our senses, as we did these past couple of years, that we are in fact subject to far greater forces than we can or want to imagine, that we are in fact far more vulnerable than we want to admit, and that we are in far greater need of one another. Also, that we cannot afford to go back, to give up we cannot afford to go back. Going back to where we came from is not an option. 
It certainly wasn't for the Israelites way back when, and as I see it, going back isn't an option for us here and now either. The desert wanderings changed the Israelites. Our COVID wanderings have changed us, and we're not done yet. There is something about experiences of discordance Something about experiences of the absurd, about, about having things shaken up for us, or even consciously choosing to shake things up, that forces us to pay attention to deeper levels of what is true, deeper levels of reality. What is true about, about where we are right now in this moment? where we are between those mysterious bookends of birth and death and between enslavement and freedom. Where are we? The unexpected, absurd plot twists force us to face truths about who and where we are in this fragile moment of our wanderings and wonderings. Who and where are we? Who's here with us and who isn't? Who do we need to invite in? So much of our lives are given over to erecting what we want to believe are, are fortresses, safe places, secure places, fortresses of, of thought and law and stone institutions in which we, we want to feel sheltered against the movements of biological or social or political seasons, against the voices, the perspectives we feel threaten our own. And yet, to everything, there is a season. And so the question I move to ask today is, how will we be able to tell what the season is and what it's asking of us if we're so busy barricading ourselves against it. If we're constantly talking one another into believing that we are, because of these rigid institutions and fortresses, that we are invincible or that we are already free. So I see a vital connection between my own lived experiences of coming to terms with vulnerability these past couple of years during COVID and the festival of Sukkot. There are many differences, of course, but there are also connections that can be made. Arthur Wasco puts it this way, even the widest oceans, the mightiest buildings, the wealthiest balance sheets, the most powerful weapons do not shield us. The planet is, in fact, one interwoven web of life. There really are only wispy walls and leaky roofs sheltering us at any given moment. So the command to love your neighbor as yourself is not an admonition to be nice or polite, or worse yet, tolerant. It is a call to recognize, as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, that no one is free until all are free. And that demands that we, that we pay attention 
to the here and now, to the discordances and absurdities within and among us, to the vulnerabilities within and among us, that we be honest about those places of vulnerability, especially those vulnerabilities born of circumstances, not of one's choosing. So many are vulnerable, not by their own choosing. To become free, truly free, demands that we invite one another, and some would say, God, into these truths. And together, discover that the joy, the tender joys of co-creating beautiful, transportable, even if temporary, but yet expandable shelter and support for one another as we move forward through the landscape of life's inevitable uncertainties. Now, it must be said that there are many other interpretations to this holiday. Traditionalists point to the sukkah tent as reminding us not to rely on external material sources of support, rather to rely solely upon God's protection. I find myself drawn to those teachings recognizing that within the fragility of the sukkah, it is easier to be honest about our own fragility. It's easier to reveal our own vulnerability and to discover that we are not alone. And that is when and where we begin to catch glimpses of the kind of freedom worthy of the human journey. <laughs>